Welcome to the Coop Tank. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and I have to tell you something. Uh, we have a great show today. Uh, my guest was actually, he came to the studio in L.A. many years ago to do my other podcast, Cooper Talk, which you can find over 930 episodes at coopertalk.net. He also was on my show when, he moved, when I moved back to New Jersey. And what I love about my guest is his passion. And it, it doesn't make a difference if it's cheesesteaks, if it's music, if it's his acting, if it's his speaking, if it's his brown and white foundation, he just gives it all. And I don't know how he has so much damn energy. And my guest is Tony Luke Jr. How you doing, Tony? How are you, Coop? So good to see you, my brother. Good to see you. Now, uh, we have a lot to talk about, but I want to start off with the music because I'm, you know, okay, if, if people, if you don't know, Tony's been into music for a long time, but just recently you seem to be really kicking ass. Tell me you know, what's going on with that? What's happening? I listened to One More Night, and I know you did a show with the Bacon Brothers. And tell me what's going on, because this must be really exciting for you. Yeah, well, when you had you had touched on me starting, which was more of a movement than a foundation, which was the hashtag brown and white, which were the two primary colors of heroin. So when I did that, it was it was the campaign of, of, of people not being ashamed and hiding when they lost a loved one to addiction or if there's someone in their family that's struggling uh, with addiction to, to let people know that they're, they're dealing with mental health issues. They're dealing with trauma. I try to tell people, you know, we keep looking for the gateway drug. You know, what is the gateway drug? Well, the gateway to addiction is trauma and mental health. That is the gateway. That's the only gateway to it. So I wanted to get people to realize and understand and look at people differently. So that was very successful, thank God. There were so many people that came and, and backed that and posted pictures of their loved one, and they, they weren't ashamed to talk about it. And then a friend of mine, who unfortunately is no longer here, he was a, a, a beautiful, beautiful soul, an incredible musician, an amazing human being. His name was Dan Morrow. And we lost Dan during COVID. And when this had happened, when my son had passed away, all I wanted to do was die. Like, I mean, there was no talking to me. The pain was unbearable and I just wanted it to stop. And he came to me one day and he said, hey man, what, let me bring a uh, keyboard over and why don't you why don't you start writing music again and I'm like no nah, I don't want to write music I don't want to do anything I, I just I, I don't want to do nothing I, I can't handle this pain and I just want it to go away and the, the keyboard was sitting in my room and one morning I got up and I was in so much pain that I I just played a chord and instead of it coming out like a sound, I felt every bit of my pain come from my soul, through my body, into my hands. And when I hit that chord, I felt the pain starting to leave me a little bit. Like I felt some kind of breath as that sound vibrated out of that keyboard into the air and into the universe. And then I just started playing again. And my writing was different 
you know, I've been writing music since 1985, and I wrote for a ton of people. My first record deal was with A&M Records back in 1985. And I was looking to write hit records, you know, what was popular, you know, what do you do, put the beats together in the groove and let's do this. And, and then now it was like, I don't care about a hit record. I don't care about finding what the sound is today. I wanted the pain for my body to go away and I wanted to write music that would help others' pain to go away or to help them move with it and to heal them through that. And then all of a sudden, my writing was completely different. Like if you listen to stuff from 25 years ago, 30 years ago to today, it is so incredibly different. And I hooked up with an old friend of mine, Joe Niccolo, and we started a foundation called the sound mind network and we wanted to use music as a means to raise money so that we could raise money and then give money to re foundations recovery homes that were using music and art as a therapy for people to get through the pain not medicate around the pain or numb themselves to the pain, to face it, but to face it through through the music. So sometimes it's hard to speak to someone and say, what is it that's probably, what is it that you're having so much trouble facing? And they don't want to say it because they're either ashamed, they're embarrassed, they don't want to live it, they don't want, to, they don't want it to come back. But through music, it's almost like it's not you. It's someone else that's expressing this through art, through through sketching, through painting, through through doing stuff with clay and or sculpting, they can draw a pain that's inside of them, but it's almost not like them saying it. It's there, but it's almost like an escape. They can still be like, well, I can't say it, but I can show you. And it helped me so much that we, you know, we did our first big concert. We raised a lot of money. We've given money to different organizations that use therapy music and art as therapy to heal people. And the music has just been coming to me like it never has before. Like I didn't write any of this. Like people go, I heard one more night, Tony, and it moved me in a way that I have never been moved with music. And I'm like, well, that didn't come from me. I don't care if you believe in God or you believe in a higher power or you believe in, in the energy of the universe. I don't know why, but somehow I was able to tap into that music that is all around us in the universe and deliver a message through me. So I'm the co-writer because someone else is writing this music. I'm just a vehicle for this music to come through me to get to someone's ear. So, you know, the, the song, you, know, you said one more night, you know, you didn't write it. It came from, you co-wrote it. But what was it like? I was thinking when I was watching the video, because, you know, it's about your son. And, and, and I mean, how hard was it to shoot that video? Because it's it's a great accomplishment. And I never knew you were such a great piano player. I was like, damn, Tony's Tony's kicking some ass. But how was it hard to shoot the video for one more night? I let me address first question. I'm not a great piano player. I can play piano well enough to write music. So I'm not a great like I wrote it so I can play it. If, if, if you put me in a band and said, okay, start playing this, I could eventually get it, but 
I play piano well enough to write music. Um, when I first recorded that song, it took me, I don't know how many tries because I would break every, every verse I would break and I, I couldn't finish. I couldn't finish the verse. In fact, when I sing that song in front of people, I look on the ground when I speak and some people look at it and feel that, well, I'm, you know, I've never done this before. So I'm looking on the ground because I'm nervous and that's not the case. I look on the ground with that song because every time I look up and I see people crying and I see people getting emotionally drawn into that song, I lose it and I break. So doing the video, we would shoot it until I would lose it. And then we would shoot it again and then again. And then he would, he would piece it. It's, it's an incredibly difficult song for me to sing live. Uh, I normally, when I sing it, I tell people, let me lip sync it to the track. And they're like, well, why do you want to do that? I'm like, cause I'm not going to make it through the track. And if I start crying in the middle of the track or I lose it, the people won't hear it because the song is playing. So it is very difficult. And the funny thing about that song, and I'm glad you brought that up about my son. I've gotten emails from everywhere, literally, I'm not kidding, all over the world, from Spain, from, from Germany, from Canada, people that have heard that song. And it's according to what it is you've lost. That song is about loss. That could be the loss of a relationship, of never being able to see someone you love again. The relationship is over and you never really had a chance to say goodbye. You weren't ready to let them go. It could be the loss of a loved one who actually died. So the song works on so many levels because it's not just about death. It's about a relationship, a love that has ended. So wherever your frame of mind is, that's how you'll take it. One person said, it's the most beautiful romantic love song I've ever heard. And it is a love song. It is a love song. But they were talking about a relationship that ended with someone that they loved for years. And that person left them and they left on bad terms. They never really had a chance to say goodbye on good terms. So we're, it, it, it's so relatable to almost any situation that involves the loss of something. Well, I got to ask you, I've, I've seen, you know, we weren't friends on Facebook and, and you've been going to the gym a lot. I've noticed I've been going to the gym because basically my wife was joking around and called me a fat fuck. And I said, I got to start going to the gym. I said, you know, so I, I said, cause I noticed my chin was getting thick and, but you know, how did you get yourself back to the gym? Cause I remember we talked right after, right recently when you're after your son had passed and you said you started eating a lot. It was an addiction. It was eating. And you said, you know, you put on I weight. Five pounds in one year. So what made you what made you sit there and wake up and go, you know what? I gotta change because that's hard. I mean, it's like anything, because you know, we get complacent when we get weight on. You know, you're oh, these pants. But what did you do? What what was your motivating factor that made you sit there and say, I gotta get back, I gotta get my shit together? Well, there was a couple. So I've been yo-yoing with weight my entire life. And then I realized, which a lot of people, excuse me one second, someone is uh, I've been yo-yoing a lot my entire life with weight. And it wasn't until I realized, as crazy as this sounds, is if you want to lose weight, 
if you want to live healthier, not I'm going to say that. That's a, a not true statement. Not if you want to live healthier. If you want to feel better, if you want to feel better, you cannot go on a diet. Diets don't work, never will work. They are the ruination of people that are, are overweight or not feeling well. You have to make better choices. You have to eat whatever you want so there's no cravings. And when you start binging, you shouldn't deny yourself anything that you enjoy. The, the secret is you have to know that you need only this much food to survive and that you can't eat out of depression. You can't eat because it tastes so good. You can't get enough of it. And the number one thing is you have to keep moving. You have to work out every day the same as you would getting up and taking a shower, the same as you would getting up in the morning and getting dressed. It has to be a part of your life, period, forever and ever and ever and ever. You have to keep moving. You can eat what you want, but you have to keep moving. And you don't look to lose 50 pounds in a month. Don't lose it. If you lost a pound a week, I know people go, oh, my, I mean, you know, even a pound a month, they go, oh, it'll be, it doesn't matter because you're not losing weight to look better. You're not looking weight, you're not losing weight so society says, oh, you look normal, whatever normal is, okay? You're losing weight so you can feel better and you can move and you won't be out of breath going up a flight of steps and you'll just feel better when you're relaxed. And in order to do that, you need to, you need to lift. I like lifting and I like some cardio. I don't believe in all the years of my lifting and all the years of my going yo-yoing up and down, it is true what they say. Cardio does not burn fat. Cardio burns calories. Weight training, even lightweight training and calisthenics burns fat. That burns fat. Running does not burn. The more you run, the harder you run, your body slows your metabolism down. It slows your heart rate down because it doesn't want to get rid of the fat. But when you're doing something with your muscles of your body, the body needs to burn fat that is stored to feed that muscle. The muscle will not get fed with the calories you're putting in your mouth. It can only use what is already stored. So I do, I walk, I don't run, I walk. Now I like to box, so I box because I enjoy it. But you'll do better off walking three, four, or five miles a day than you would do doing cardio for 40 minutes a day. It's easier on your joints. You're still going to keep your body in motion and moving. Your body doesn't think it's starving. And if you want to eat 2,000 calories a day, try to burn off 500, 600. Now you're only eating 1,400 calories a day. And your body will get used to it. And the more muscle mass that you tone and you put on, the more your body will keep burning. You'll be able to eat a little bit more. And treat yourself. Don't put yourself like this weekend I had cake. I don't even like sweets, but it was my my granddaughter's birthday. We had cake. We had ice cream. I didn't go home and go, oh, I feel guilty. I can't believe it. That's the mentality that will kill you every time. You ate it. Okay. You had a good time. It's fine. Tomorrow, back, you know, back working at the gym or back walking and doing push-ups, doing calisthenics, whatever you need to do, but that's what you do it. And I wind up, I went, I gained so much weight. I went back up to 300 and 
330 or 300, almost 340 pounds because I was self-medicating through food. And then the other reason was here I am getting up speaking in front of all these people, telling them that they need to stop self-medicating through drugs and alcohol and find another way to, 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 to get through it, like which is what I'm trying to do. And here I am on stage, 340 pounds, self-medicating my depression every day through food. So how can I expect people to listen to me and hear me try to explain to them that we need to stop self-medicating and we need to, to push through whatever the trauma is and, 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 and to face it. And it's the most difficult thing in the world to do, the most. But we need, and here I am on stage, 300 some pounds, not doing what I'm telling people to do. So that, and, and diabetes runs in my family. I don't have it, but it can hit me at any time. And I just wanted to feel better. Now I weigh 260. And my perfect weight, believe it or not, for me, because of all the lifting and being a fighter for all those years, my perfect weight is 235. At 235, I'm a 34 waist, and I have a very low fat count. I, I can hold a lot of weight. If I was 180 or 175, like the, the books tell me I should be, I'd be in ICU on a, on a feeding tube. You know what I mean? I, you know, I carry a lot of weight. I'm not a small guy. I'm a big guy. I'm 60 years old, and your body is, is pretty amazing. Now, I won't lift any weight that I can't do at least 15 times because anything under that 12 to 15 is hard on my joints, especially with my age, but I'm 60 years old. I'll be 61. I do four sets of 12 to 15 bench press with 210 pounds. Now that's not a lot of weight, but I'm a 60 year old man, but your body is amazing. It will do what you want it to do. If you don't push and overdo it. Now, since you've been working out, uh, you know, and you're getting losing the weight, do you feel mentally sharper or mentally better? Because I think, you know, for me, when I started going, I just do the treadmill, you know, and I, I, I put little goals. I do 50,000 steps a week and 20 miles, okay? And I was going every day, but then I'll go five. If I miss, I just say, this is my goal. I'm not going to overdo it. But I mentally feel sharper because I think, you know, you're creative, I'm creative. And, and if creative people, we deal with depression. We deal with, you know, self-doubt. And it helps me. It helps me focus. What's it done for your focus with, you know, because you've gone through a lot in the last few years. What has it done? Has it made you mentally more tuned? It made me sleep better which is a huge thing as far as being mentally more tuned i i think that that came from me working on me i think the hardest thing that we have to face as human beings the hardest lesson the hardest um for me and I know probably for many people is to not just accept things that we have no control over, but to not allow things to affect us negatively. Now, this is going to sound corny and I don't want it to sound preachy, 
I've learned and am continuing to learn to rid myself of all hate, to rid myself of all anger, to, I don't look at people that have done things to me in a negative way anymore. In fact, to be honest with you, there's people that have been incredibly kind and good to me and people that have been not so much. I've gotten more peace and learned more from those that have not been good to me than those that have been good to me. Because I've learned that people are, are mean and angry and destructive because they're hurting. They're filled with hurt. They're not mean because they want to be mean. They're not angry because they just want to be angry. They're hurting so much inside. And when you could, you could teach yourself to see someone that is angry and, and, and is yelling and is screaming, and instead of feeling like, oh, someone needs to punch them, someone needs to shut them up, if you realize that everything coming out of them is a hurt that's deep inside of them, and the only way that they know how to express it is through anger. Because anger is the easiest emotion. It's the easiest one to go to. But accepting and forgiving and, and understanding are difficult. They're very difficult because we want to lash out. Because we think, look what they're doing to me. But they're not doing anything to you. They're doing it to themselves. They're reflecting their pain openly. And they need to direct it at someone. So they direct it at the closest person. Or the, the, remember they say, you always hurt the one you love because you feel like they'll forgive you. They'll always forgive me. This is, now I'm not saying that actions don't have consequences. They do. We live in the real world. They do. But I'm trying every day before I get to a point where I'm angry at someone to try to look at whatever cross that they're carrying that I don't know that they're carrying. And I'm... I, I, I've also learned not to allow you, now I'm saying you as a general term, not you, uh, to allow you to have any power over me to make me feel bad. I will not allow you to ruin my day. I will not allow you to project your negativity onto me. Now, am I a saint? No. Do, do I let people bother me? Yeah, I'm a work in progress. I'll be a work in progress till the day that I die. The only thing I say is I am trying every day to go a little bit further and a little bit further. And I wish I can get to a point before I die where anything negative you throw at me, I just throw love back at you. And I will not allow you to be in my head and to destroy my peace, I won't. And I don't ever want to do anything to hurt or destroy anyone else's peace. But we're not perfect, and we never will be. That's why, you know, I'm not the same person I was 30 years ago. I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. I'm not the same person I was a year ago, which is what life is supposed to be. When people hold people when they go after people that they've done something 30 years ago, I always tell people, I get it. I, I understand your rage. 
My question is, have you looked at them now? Because if you're going to judge someone by what they did 30 years ago, if they're that same person now, yeah, then they didn't get it. And they don't want to learn. They don't want to be better. But if you know that they are not that person to persecute someone for learning and understanding that what they were or what they were doing was that I was the most selfish, self-centered, egotistical human being on the planet. The world revolved around me. I was selfish. I, it had, everything had to be my way. I know what I was like. And when I meet people from 30 years ago and they go, oh, man, have you seen Tony? And they go, yeah, he's not a good guy. And they go, when's the last time you talked to Tony? Yeah, I knew Tony back in the day. Maybe you should talk to him now because people, that's what life is about, Coop. It's about being here and then growing to here. No one's born here. No one. I don't care how righteous someone is. No one is all, was born this way. Life makes you what, what, you know, your life experiences. And I tell people, you, if I asked you, Steve, I'll give you a perfect example. If I asked you, who are you? What would you say to me? Like, if I, if I, didn't, if I never met you and I go, hey, hi, who are you? What's the first thing that will come out of your mouth? My name is Steve. My name is Steve, correct? That's going to be the first thing. But the truth is, Steve, you're not Steve. Your brain is Steve. Your soul is not Steve. Your soul is an observer. Your soul doesn't feel pain, doesn't feel hurt, doesn't feel doesn't feel any of those things. Your brain does. Somewhere down the line, we forgot that the brain's job is to keep us breathing, let us know if there's any danger, keep us aware of our surroundings. But what the brain does is it registers every single thing that has ever happened to us. And then as soon as we see someone that looks a certain way or someone that, that says a certain thing, the brain goes, oh, I remember that person, what they look like or what that when someone said that, it's bad, hate them, they're no good. And then your brain makes you react, but your soul gets lost. I know this is crazy, but sometimes I do an exercise where when I'm in a bad place, I go, hello, hi, it's me, not the brain, it's me, the soul. I control the brain. The brain doesn't control me, but we let our brain control us, and it gets angry, and it becomes you are not your brain. You are your soul, but we allow our brain to become the boss, and it reacts. It's a computer. It writes down everything that has ever happened and like an algorithm, and it punches out a scenario. How many times, Steve, have you said, oh, my God, I, I, I found a mark on my skin. I, I have cancer. I have cancer. This, this well, melanoma. You know, you know it's funny. I, no, you I, know, it's funny. I have a, I've, I've been treated for a regular heartbeat, but even now, I have a little cardio thing. But even now, this morning, I woke up, and I'm like, holy shit, I think my heart's fluttering. And it, I've been surgically twice. It's been good. And I went, and I was fine. But we do that. I worried. I was like, in my mind, I was like, Oh Christ! I might have to go back to Deborah. I might have to get this done. But I just sat there. That happened just this morning. Right. But the truth is, the only thing that's real, Steve, is right this second. Anything that we think of after this second 
is a movie that the brain is making up because of all its past experiences. It is showing you a movie. And 99% of the time, it's never a happy movie. It's the worst case scenario movie. But the truth is, Steve, you only have this second right here. We don't know what's going to happen 10 seconds from now, yet we project it. If we can learn to literally live right now and know that we don't know what the outcome of anything is going to be, you will find a piece that you never thought possible. Well, that's good. That's what I need some peace. That's what I need. Um, I want to get I want to talk about some business with you. Okay. okay. You've been through a lot in the last year. You know, the thing happened, I know you and your father, you guys split a while ago, and you've taken over the franchising. And I was thinking when, when I heard what happened with your dad, how many, how your phone must have blown up because we had talked about this before. You said, you know, when people used to come into the shop, they'd be asking for you. They'd be, they would say Tony Luke, and then your father would come out of that side. You're not Tony Luke. So you're Tony Luke Jr. He's Tony Luke. When all the shit went down a few months ago, did your phone start blowing up? Or, I mean, how do you, how do you handle that? Because... People don't take the time to sit there and read. They don't sit there and go in the paper. You know, they don't get to the bottom where it says Tony Luke Jr. is not affiliated with that. How did you deal with that? Because it's even you're not involved in it, but you must have had a shitload of negative energy thrown your way. How what was going on through your mind when all that was going down? OK, that's a good question. I would have given you a different answer 10 years ago then I will give you now. What would you give me 10 years ago? I would have I would have spent 20 minutes right now defending my position. I would have spent 20 minutes convincing anyone that's listening to this would my side of everything that went down. I would have been angry. Uh, I would have been spouting well, they lied about this, they lied about that, and I didn't do that. And I would have done everything I could to get people that listen to this podcast to understand my side and not and not hate me or not feel a certain way about me from what they heard from rumors and all these other things. That literally would have been me 10 years ago. My answer to you right now, I love and this is the truth, my, my God's honest truth. I love my father. I love my brother. Even if they don't feel the same way about me, it doesn't matter to me because it only matters how I feel about them. I was hurting, they're hurting. There were things that were said, people took sides. They never knew the full story. And when someone is hurting, they want to lash out. So if I'm mad at you, Coop, if I'm mad at you, 10 years ago, if someone had said, hey, man, you know Steve Coop? Yeah. How is he? He's a jerk of a man. What do you mean? Like, I met him. He was good. He's a snake. He's no good. He, I, would have, I would have been throwing all of this hate out to try to convince whoever I was talking to to not like you because I don't like you, okay? So now they're only gonna believe what I said. Like, they don't really know you. If they knew you, they'd go, Steve, can I ask you a question? Did this happen? And then they can make up their own mind. So that's kind of what happened. And 
there were times I met people on the street that yelled out things to me that were absolutely not true. I didn't fight with them. And when someone comes up to me and goes, hey, I haven't seen your father in forever. How's your father? How's your brother? I go, good. They're good. Please tell them I, I, I was asked them. I absolutely will. I don't go. I don't talk to my dad. I, I don't do that. There's, there's the, why? What, what possibly, what, what could possibly make things better by me spewing anything that is negative? And it wouldn't be true. I don't hate them. I don't. I never will. It doesn't matter how they feel about me. I never will. I've lost so much that I, you realize when you lose so much that people say it and they don't mean it. I'm telling you, I've been through it. I'm telling you from experience. In the end, it really doesn't matter. The car you drove, the money in your bank account, the status, the way people felt about you, how they did this, what you did. All that matters is how you made people feel when you were with them. All that matters is what the hell did you leave behind? Not money, not a bank account, not a check. And and if you did evil shit to get money and then you gave it away to charity, you did a good thing from something bad. It's not that it has no value, but at the end of the day, people can't judge you. Only you and if you believe that there's a higher power, the higher power. If you don't believe there's a higher power, well, when you die, you've got to be able to live with the life that you you lived. you got to be able to be comfortable and know that what the life I lived, lived, I did the best I could. Okay? Because that's, that's, what, that's what matters. And that's where I am now. I, I wish them the best. I, I, I mean that. I'm not saying that because people go, oh, he's, he's above it. No, I don't give it. That's my point. I don't care what you think of me. I truly don't care. Your opinion of me does not affect my journey in life. It doesn't affect how my God will judge me. It doesn't affect what I'm going to do tomorrow. It has no basis for my existence. So when I speak, I speak from the heart and I tell you the truth. I wish, I truly wish them the best of everything. But I'm not going to lash out and I'm not going to say anything negative. I mean, it's a family and families are complicated. Okay. And I don't judge. People can judge. I don't judge. I, get, I think I, I do well when I speak at events because people know that they can tell me anything because I'm not judging them. I have no right to judge anyone. Even if I don't agree with what you did, I'm not going to judge you. I don't know the reasoning behind what you did. I don't know the pain behind what made you do what you did. So I don't judge. So that long example I just gave you boiled down to I love them. I wish them the best. And I always will. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how their journey is going to end up, but that's their journey. It's not my journey. It's their journey. Now, now, a few when 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 things started, you know, going south, you you 
you started franchising and making your hot dogs and all that. You were very entrepreneurial. Where did that come from? Because I remember, you know, we had talked and you, you, you got the franchises. Last I talked, you had one in Dubai. You told me when I was in L.A., you went to Dubai. What made you sit there? Because, you know, technically, in my eyes, you're an artist. You know, you you play music. You're, you know, Louis Lombardi and Gravesend. And, uh, you know, and, and, and you were in uh, uh, the, the Papali movie. But you, you had this business sense. What made you sit there and decide to say, okay, we got a franchise, and then you built you built a brand around you. Where did that come from? Good question. I mean, every question you're asking me, Steve, you're making me have to think. <laughs> That's the um, idea. <laughs> I know. Okay, notice I'm in food. It is food that I picked to be the business and if you just gave every reason why food is the one medium the one career that is the most creative it still falls into the creative vibe you're creating a an atmosphere you're creating food you're creating tastes you're you get to be creative in the food business you get to be inventive in the food business and you can relate to people one-on-one. You're a showman. You're a showman. When you're in the food business, you're a showman. You know, I tell people that want to be chefs, the kids will come to me and go, man, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in culinary school. I'm like, that's wonderful. And I'm like, can I ask you a question? They go, sure. And I'm like, there's no right or wrong answer, but I just want to ask you. I go, what made you want to be a, be a chef? Like, what made you want to go to culinary school? And the minute they go to me, well, I want to be, I want to be on the Food Network. Uh, I, you know, I, I want to be, I want to be a, 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 a TV star. I don't say it to them, but in my mind, I go, you're going to waste four years of your, you're going to waste four years of your life. Because first of all, out of all the chefs and cooks, and people that are in the food industry in this world, less than 1% become TV stars, less than 1%, which is just as bad as actors and musicians to become top of the game. If you don't love what you're doing, I love food. I love cooking. I love being the showman. I love writing music. I love, I don't love performing. I like performing. I don't love performing. I love writing music. I love acting. I love writing. I love speaking. These are things I love to do. These are gifts that I've been given that I want to share with the world. So yes, franchising and doing that was uh, a means to grow the name, to grow a bigger audience, to be able to create, to be able, because look, here's the truth. The truth is, when I write a song, the gift is not a million people hearing the song. The gift is the ability to do it, which is supposed to be enough. It is supposed to be enough just to have the gift to create from nothing, okay? But the human side of us goes, well, wait a minute. I want everyone to hear this. Like, I want a million people to hear the song. I want a million people to taste my food. 
Well, that's not the gift. That's affirmation. You're looking for affirmation. Okay. You want, you don't think that just the gift is enough. You want everyone to tell you and convince you, yes, this food is great. Yes, this song is great. But the truth is, it doesn't matter whether you like the song or you don't. The song came from you. It's great just in the fact that it came from you. The food is great just because it made you happy when you made it and you ate it. But it's not enough for 99.9% for, for of the people on the planet, including me. I struggle with that every day. I want people to, to listen to this podcast and go listen to every piece of music I've ever written because I wrote it for people to hear it, to help them. So yes, do I like it? If someone like you says, hey man, I heard One More Night and it, it touched me in a way, it was so beautiful and the way you sang it and the emotions touched me on a level. And yeah, do I want to hear that? Absolutely. That's an affirmation. But that affirmation should hold no more importance to me than if you said, hey, I heard one more night, it sucks. You can't sing, the song is sappy, and I hate it. It's an opinion. That's the way that song affected you. But that negative comment shouldn't affect me more than the positive comment. You understand? Because in the scheme of things, they're here. The gift is to be able to do it. And I still struggle with that. Goop, I'm, I'm telling you, I do. I want 20 million people to hear my music. I want to affect 20 million people. But that's ego. That's affirmation. That's not the gift. Where you know did, what I mean? So that's, where that's did, why food. Where did the gift come from to come up with the round hot dog? I love this story. Tell me that story because that, that was great. I I saw you on the Home Shopping Network. You were on there and, and Ristelli's. You know, it, it, it's such – it's funny because, you know, that's to my – in my mind, that's a part of creativity, breaking a mold because no one ever thought – and you can explain the hot dog, but for years, for years, for years and years and years and years and years, the hot dog's been a tube. And then all of a sudden, yeah. you come along. Where did that come from? And it was a pretty ballsy move. Did you say it's either going to hit it or people are going to go, eh, what happened? Okay, so you're, you're, you're half right. I did not come up with the round dog. So I was at a diner with my son, Michael. And we were eating and he ordered a burger and the burger came to the table and I said, how's your burger? He's like, it's good, but I really wanted a hot dog. And I said, what do you mean? Why didn't you order a hot dog? Yeah, but why can't a hot dog come like a burger? So I can stack it with a bunch of stuff on it. And I said, because a burger's a burger and a hot dog's a hot dog. Don't be ridiculous, Michael. It's stupid. A hot dog is a hot dog. It's not a hamburger. It's it's dumb to even think that. That's what I said to him. And he goes, well, I think hot dogs should be shaped like a burger so you can stack them up. And I'm like, yeah, eat your burger and be quiet. About a week later, it was the summertime. We were at his house, and he was he was uh, grilling on a barbecue. And I'm sitting down, I'm getting ready to eat, and I go, where are you going? He's like, I have to go to the store. I'm like, why? because I don't have any more hot dog buns. So I got to leave what I'm doing 
to get hot dog buns because if not, I got to cut them open. You got to put two and they got to make it. And he said, wouldn't it be so much easier if you only needed one bun? Because everyone eats burgers when they when they cook. If you had just one bun for a hot dog and then a bulb went off. And I went to a friend of mine named Rick Tarantino. And I said, Rick, you're a food guy like me, but you're you're a big chef. Yeah, I go, how do we create a round hot dog? Not bologna, because bologna and hot dogs are two different things. People think of bologna and hot, it's not the same. So I said, we're not going to just make something that looks like a slab of bologna. I want to, let's do something that works. And we came up with the design on the outside to look like little, little tips of hot dogs. And then the middle has ridges on it so that it can hold the condiments in. And it was the size of a quarter pound burger. And it was delicious. But then we had to figure out a way to cut it. There was no machine that did it. So we had to literally create a machine to make, then they don't have any kind of casing for that. So we had to literally create that. We had to design, took two years and believing in this product. And then when we did it, I had to, I had to patent it. So when we went to do the patent, they were like, look, you know, patent's not going to really, you know, patent only covers the design. If someone changes the design, you don't lose the patent. I'm like, can we get a texture patent? And they were like, they'll never grant a texture patent. I'm like, how do you know unless we try? What's a, so texture, what, what's a texture patent? Texture patent means whatever my design is on the hot, on the round dog, even if they change it, it, they violate my patent. Like if they made squares instead of, you can't do anything. If someone wanted to sell the round, a round hot dog, it would have to be a slice of bologna. If they put any mark at all, any design, any riff, it, it infringes on my patent. So when we got that, we were like, okay, now we're ready to go. Like, we're ready to go. So we started, and I knew, I looked at my son, I said, this is either going to be the biggest thing on the planet or a complete and utter dub. And you know when I knew it was going to be successful? When we first introduced it, Twitter went crazy, crazy. And a woman wrote, this is when I knew we had something. And I'm going to quote her tweet because it is the greatest, greatest tweet anyone has ever said. To me. She said, whoever invented the round hot dog will never see the kingdom of heaven. That's what she said. Now, I knew we were a success because it rubbed her so wrong it was so uh what's the word they use so sacrilegious to her that she was full of anger enough anger to wish that no matter what life i led no matter how many people i helped when i die and i get to the gate and they go tony you've saved the thing you saved uh, animals out of a burning building yeah but you created the round dog so you can't get it I knew that that pace, that passion will swing both ways. People will go nuts over it. There'll be no middle, love it or hate it. And so far, the response has been ridiculous because even food stores, like 
Restaurants are going, well, I show burgers. I don't want to bring in hot dog buns. You don't have to. Fits on a burger bun. You know, I don't need another bun. No. And if you know, when you cook a hot dog, it burns one side. You got to turn it. Burn. This is a flat surface. Cooks evenly. Flip it. Cooks evenly. Stack them. Stack whatever you want on top in a bun. And it bites. And, and it, it's, a, it's an easier chew. So I'm not going to make this claim. I'm making it very clear. I am not making this claim. The number one cause of choking with children and elderly people that eat a hot dog is the tube shape. When they bite a piece too big and they swallow, the tube is what catches. With a round dog, there is no tube. Now, I'm not saying you can't choke eating any food. But there's no two. It, 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 it bites like a burger. You can choke eating a burger, but there's not a tube going down your throat. You're chewing it and it chews like a burger. It bites, you know, it, it, it bites differently than a hot dog. And I said, now you can't say that a hot dog is not a sandwich because it, it, it eats like a burger. And that was my son, Michael, that came up with the idea. And it was Rick and me that helped design that with my son, Michael. So I will not take credit for inventing the round dog. I take credit for bringing it to the forefront. But the idea came from my son, Michael. I got, I got a question. We got to wrap up soon. I got a question for you, though. You know, we had talked earlier about the music, how, you know, you, you're writing more for yourself now. Your writing has changed. And, uh, and at 60 to reinvent yourself, because you're reinventing your music. We always reinvent ourselves, we all try to. What has kept you going all these years? Because, you know, it, it's something, it's music, and music always changes, but what, you know, what made you, were you afraid of any people saying, oh, you know, as you said, if I say it sucks, it doesn't bother you, but of course, we we all do. We, we, we say it doesn't bother us, but we do. But what has made you keep the passion? Did you ever sit there and think, I'm getting older, I can't do this? What has kept you floating especially in the last few years when you've gone through a lot what has kept you clicking and you still have your, your you know a lot of people just would give up on the music by now but what has kept you going honestly i i i never want to see another child die especially from mental health depression addiction and i never want a parent to ever feel what I'm feeling. And I will do the music and I will speak until God tells me that it's time for me to come home. And then I will gladly go home as long as I know that I've done everything I could to make some difference, even if... Skip Dannenberg. Do you know Skip? He wanted me to come up with him to Children's Hospital. He would play guitar, and he wanted me to be Tony Luke and make the kids laugh. And I did it once, and I, and I said, I can't do it again. I, I, I'll never do this again, Skip, never, never. And he's like, why, Tony? I'm like, because the whole time, I literally want to just put my hand on their head, and I want to take away the disease. I want to cure them. I want to do that. And he said to me, and I'll never forget this, he said, Tony, you don't have the power to put your hand on their head and take away their disease. I'm like, I know that, Skip. 
That's why I can't go to this. But the power you do have is for the five minutes that you're with them to make them laugh, to take a picture, to make them smile. The power you have is for five minutes, you can take away that pain of them knowing the situation that they're in. That's the power you do have, Tony. And that's the power you should use. And when I speak and when I write music, in my head I go, one, I need one person to hear the song. I need to reach one person in that audience of 500. One, because life is not a million at a time. Life is one at a time. And if you can make a difference in one person, if you can make them feel okay for five minutes, you have performed a miracle. And that has to be enough. It has to be enough. And I believe if God, for me, I believe in God. So for me, if God wants 20 million people to hear me speak, he'll put me in front of 20 million people. If he wants 20 million people to hear my music, He'll put it in front of 20 million. If for the rest of my life, God only wants me to touch one person at a time, then that's what I'll do. And I'll make sure that that's enough for me. I have one final question. For someone who's out there who's struggling, whether it be in their career, you know, or like, you know, thinking what they should do or a creative struggle or with addiction, what word of advice do you give them? What is your advice to them? that makes, make them keep going and make everything's going to be okay? I just wrote a song called Shine. There's an artist about to record it. The whole song is about whatever life throws at you, whatever people tell you, however they feel about you, you have to look. One of the lyrics is, see the beauty in a world that's blind and shine. You have to know you. Never give up. Never stop believing in you. And never believe that no one cares about you. Because there's, I care about people I don't even know when I first meet them. Know that you have all the strength and you have all the answers right here. They're all right here. But you have to shut the chatter off in your brain that is telling you you're no good, you'll never make it, no one likes you, you're not good enough. You would have succeeded if, if you were any good. You have, to, you have to silence that. And you have to know that you, your soul, is amazing and is capable of anything. Let it out. Don't let the world make you cynical. Don't let the world make you hate yourself. Love yourself and love those that don't even understand or love you. And anything is possible if you can get to that place. Believe in you. You don't even have to believe in God. But you can believe in you. And you're enough. You're enough. But you have to know that you are enough. You heard it right there, people. And if you're also depressed after that, go get a uh, roasted pork sandwich from Tony. Because <laughs> <laughs> that sandwich kicks ass. Anyway, Tony, I want to thank you for coming on. How can people get in touch with you? How can people find your music? We didn't get into the acting. We get into Gravesend. We didn't get into that movie. I know you have that great movie on uh, Netflix uh, or Amazon. The movie oh, did. The Nail. Yeah. People, how can, how, how can people find all this information about you? 
Well, when you Google me, a lot of stuff comes up, but I'm on all social medias, Tony Luke Jr. It's not the word junior. It's Tony Luke Jr. I'm on Instagram and, and TikTok and, and, and Facebook. And so I, I post a lot of things there. If they want to hear a lot of the music, what they do is just go to YouTube and type in Tony Luke Jr. Music, Tony Luke Jr. Music. And I have a music page from the album that we actually pulled off of the streaming service because a bigger label picked it up and we're releasing one song at a time. But the videos from those songs are still on on YouTube and they talk about everything, pain. They talk about getting through it, remembering. The album was called Strong and Broken Places. And and that's the last, you can get me on any social media, but I want to say one last thing because I know you got to go. Sometimes you can take a vase or a vase, wherever you're from, however you want to pronounce it. And it's strong. It's strong. It's made of, of, of granite. It's, it's strong. And it falls and it breaks into five different pieces. Most of the time, when you use an epoxy and you re-glue it, there's all of these scars on the vase. They're all there. But most of the time, that vase is stronger than it was before it broke. Don't hide your scars. Show your scars because that shows that you're stronger than you were before. Don't be afraid to be broken. Just know that you're stronger as long as you put the pieces back together. Period. So people hear that. Take the advice. Tony knows. Tony's a great guy. I, I remember, I and I didn't bring this up, but I remember he met me and uh, Joanne, my wife, at uh, when there used to be a franchise in Maple Shade. And we talked about voting. And he told me was, he didn't vote one year. And some guy basically told him to shut up and not give his advice. And he went, you're right. And that's he told me. He goes, because that's he, he said to the guy, he's like, you're right. I can't say anything. Cause I didn't, I didn't vote. So people go check out Tony's music, you know, go, go get a sandwich, uh, go order, order the cheesesteaks online. Because I know people in California always want to get those damn cheesesteaks. Yeah, they're and, really, they're really good. Yeah, and you, and you can ship them. So people go follow Tony, uh, Tony Luke, Jr. And, uh, people follow me. Um, you can go to my website, uh, the coop tank dot com. There's and also Spotify music, um, Amazon music and iTunes. There's like 12 episodes up there. You can find my other podcast, coopertalk.net. I've over 930 episodes. That's at coopertalk.net. And if you need someone to interview you, come into the studio. I'll interview you for social media. Hit me up. I'll work with my buddy, my producer, Joe Jangemi, which I pronounce wrong all the time. It's Gangemi, Jangemi. I don't even know. I don't know. I'm married to an Italian, but I, I can't get the name right. <laughs> and so people, so please check out Tony. Check out past episodes of The Coop Tank. I'm Steve Cooper, and you guys have a great day.